0: Hello, and welcome to Transfusion's monthly podcast. I'm your host, Yara Park. In today's episode, we will be speaking with Drs. Jeff Carson and Daryl Triolzi, who will be discussing their recent work, Plasma Trial, a pilot randomized clinical trial to determine safety and efficacy of plasma transfusions. Welcome, Dr. Carson and Dr. Triolzi. Thank you for joining us.
1: Oh, thanks so much for having me. This is uh, Jeff Carson, so you recognize my voice. And uh, I'm uh... Uh, from New Jersey. I work at Rutgers University. I'm one of the provosts at Rutgers Biomedical Health Sciences and Distinguished Professor of Medicine uh, at Rutgers
2: Robert Wood Johnson Medical School.
0: Thank you. Dr. Triolzi, would you introduce yourself, please?
2: Yes, Yara. Thank you very much for having me. Glad to be here. Uh, I'm at the University of Pittsburgh, where I direct the division of transfusion medicine and have been doing clinical trials in transfusion-related fields for many years, and I've worked with Jeff on many of those trials.
0: Thank you both for joining us. So can you summarize your study for our listeners?
1: Sure. So um, this was a pilot study that was uh, supported by the National Heart and Lung Blood Institute. Our our, our original goal was to enroll 110 uh, patients who had INRs between 1.5 and 2.5, who were undergoing a, a, a procedure uh, outside of the operating room, so not in the operating room. So this would be people who were having uh, a, uh, going to interventional radiology, for example, getting a thoracentesis, getting a paracentesis, or this could be done at the bedside uh, where they're getting a thoracentesis, a paracentesis. They could have biopsies, uh, but it would be any procedure that was not done in the operating room. Um, and the, the goal was to try to understand whether administering plasma uh, to people with INRs between 1.5 and 2.5 would reduce the risk of bleeding.
0: And what did you find?
1: Well, <laughs> the first thing we found is it was hard to do this trial. Now, you know, that's not unusual in clinical trials for any of you who've, who've experienced uh, conducting trials or certainly leading trials, it's always difficult to pull off trials. And, um, I, and and you know, as Daryl indicated, I'm experienced at leading trials, and w- we spent a tremendous amount of time of dissecting exactly how we were going to find patients in the study, how we were going to communicate to our colleagues the importance of the study, how we were going to train our coordinators to be able to implement the, the protocol. And and then the analysis part would typically take care of itself. And what we found was it was really hard to recruit. Uh, in fact, um, we were in, I guess, four or five different hospitals, uh, major university hospitals. And and frankly, the only hospital that was able to recruit at all was was my hospital here in, in New Jersey, uh, Robert Wood Johnson University Hospital. All the other hospitals that participated really struggled in, in, in conducting the trial. And, uh, you know, we can talk about the specifics of why that was, um, but I think equipoise was one of the big issues, and maybe that's something we should uh, hash through in some, in, some, in some detail. But basically what we found, uh, therefore, was because the this, this study on, only had uh, 57 patients in it, it was, it was certainly underpowered. Um, But what we found basically was, one, the event rates of bleeding were very low, so that even if we had a lot of patients, I'm not sure we would have been able to detect differences in bleeding. We also found that the complications were low, and that overall, you know, the patients enrolled in this study did pretty well, and we found no evidence that uh, we were either benefiting or harming patients. Now, we, we went and then looked at the laboratory measures, because, see, when you do... Uh, when you do pilot studies, uh, you're, never, you're not going to have enough patients to really look at clinical events, which is bleeding and TACO. Those would be the things that you would care the most about here. So you then go to uh, surrogate outcomes, and we looked for change in INR. We looked in change in hemoglobin, and we looked for the amount of blood that was transfused. And basically, we found tiny changes in INRs between the plasma group and the transfusion group, um, we found no differences in the, in the hemoglobins over the subsequent day or two after randomization, and almost no one got transfused. So um, that, that was the basic results of the study there.
0: So how did you guys come up with the idea for this study? I personally love the idea because I feel like I'm constantly, you know, having conversations about the pros and cons of one to two unit plasma transfusions in patients with mildly elevated INRs. So is this out of a personal challenge or was there some, how did you end up at this with this study?
2: Jeff, maybe I can uh, speak a little bit to that um, because I had, and I'll call it the misfortune of uh, being involved in prior randomized trials. You may recall the SHIP study, which was a um, aborted attempt to do a randomized study of plasma in patients undergoing liver biopsy. That was um, in the early 2000s. And we found, again, that it was very logistically difficult to do the study. There turned out to be not that many patients undergoing liver biopsy who had INRs above 1.5 because they prefer to do it sooner and not wait until their liver disease is that progressive. And we could not enroll in that study. So we knew this clinical question needed to be answered for 20 years ago um, and attempted to do it, but failed uh, with the trial design. And that remained with me and others as a major gap in our knowledge. And um, as Jeff has said, there've been lots of randomized trials and they're all small they're all uh, of pilot size uh, or less and uh, have really failed to answer the question yet we're transfusing millions of units of plasma a year and a large proportion is going to prophylaxis for procedures Um, so it still remained an important question and Jeff and I, just from participating together in other clinical trials, many, most of which were successful, if not all, except this one, we we said, you know, this still is an important clinical question. And so we put our heads together to do a a superior trial design to the SHIP study, which was limited to liver biopsy. So one of the first things we did was broaden the inclusion criteria to essentially any interventional radiology procedure. Uh, was eligible. And then we even broaden that to include uh, procedural suites, like endoscopy suites. Um, Now, we didn't do the OR because there's too many other things going on in the OR that affect bleeding besides just the coagulopathy. And and that's why we limited it to non-operative setting. But we did liberalized um, the procedures to just about any going on in interventional radiology or the endoscopy suites, because we still feel this question needs to be answered.
1: You know, Yara, I would add to that. Um, I get most of my good research questions from my clinical work. And, you know, I'm on the medical teaching service, and I've got a case that I want an interventional radiologist, the special, we call it specials at our hospital, to, you know, to tap a patient and the INR is 1.8, the patient's rock stable. And, and my residents call me and say, they, the radiologists won't do the study unless you give plasma. And, and, and it's like, that, the fact that they refuse to do the study, and then it turns out their guidelines say the same thing, at least the prior version of the guidelines when we were planning this study said, they shouldn't do a procedure without giving plasma. That's really what generated the idea. Um, because it didn't make sense to me, because of what we understand about the biology of uh, uh, and the importance of INRs and how they relate or they don't relate to bleeding, or at least we don't understand if they relate to bleeding, that it, it clinically didn't make sense to me. Uh, and and then they were willing, they were happy if you just gave one or two units of plasma. And we knew that that was grossly underdosing based upon a weight-based uh, dosing. So it, most of the best ideas, I think, come from your clinical experience, um, what what your colleagues are asking you to do, and then questioning the wisdom of that decision. And, and so that's really what generated the idea of of doing a uh, a trial like this. And and then of course, as as Daryl described, his experience with shift the uh, shift trial, um, uh, you know, we we thought, gee, we could do this, right? We'll just broaden the criteria. Uh, we know how to do this kind of stuff. Well, that certainly was proven wrong.
0: so Jeff, you mentioned the equipoise around this question. Do you want to go into that a little bit?
1: Sure, so the c- conduct of this trial um and the and the fact that we couldn't recruit um was was a big part of was caused by equipoise. The second reason why we couldn't pull this trial off was the, the logistics of pulling this off, which we can talk about later if you're interested in it. But uh, basically, you know, it, at my hospital, um, I was able to get very uh, most of the clinicians to agree to allow us to enroll a patient. So we, you know, we never go near a patient um, who uh, has uh, who meets our eligibility criteria with, without first calling the attending physician and asking permission to approach the patient. And you know, I was able to justify this to my colleagues here um, at my hospital um, that, you know, why we wanted to do it. And and maybe many of them were sort of annoyed about, you know, the requirements that our radiologists had here as well and were willing to, to help us do the study. But what we found that, you know, at other hospitals, and, and you know, and Daryl might be better able to speak to it in, in Pittsburgh, um, is that they got a lot of pushback from their clinicians that the clinicians didn't really buy the question. They, 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 they really, what, you know, what, what winds up happening is when you design a trial, you want to try to make it as broad as possible. So you can, so you can recruit. Right. Um, And so we chose an INR between one and a half and two and a half, which seemed clinically reasonable to us. But what we found is there were a fair number of clinicians who would say 1.6, Oh, that doesn't make sense. I'm not going to enroll my patient there. They seem to be more comfortable at maybe around two, okay, uh, some. And some clinicians said uh, 2.5, that's too high. I want to give plasma to everyone. And and so uh, we never were able to find a sweet spot uh, of an INR w- where most clinicians were comfortable in enrolling in, in patients into the study.
2: Yes, I think The equipoise was a big piece, and in preparation for the study, we got the support from our interventional radiologists, but in the execution of the study, we were getting uh, consent from uh, the patients attending, which might be an ICU-referring attending, um, and they were not as uniform in accepting the equipoise. And the other issue that Jeff mentioned was the logistics, and that was in a patient at whom they decided now they needed a paracentesis or thoracentesis, the window of time we had to now get permission from the attending, permission from the interventional radiologist, approach the patient for uh, consent, and then get everyone to agree that you know if you're randomized to plasma we have to get plasma prepared and infused that will take a couple hours many patients or the attending said you know we have a slot in the schedule we we just can't afford to wait hours for for all this to happen and that happened over and over again um, and particularly maybe it's because of the size of these academic medical centers that the radiology schedules are tight and when they get an opening, they're going for it. And they were, just weren't very tolerant of us taking time to that's necessary to get all the ducks in order to execute the study. Um, and so it wasn't just at University of Pittsburgh, the other centers had a, a similar experience. I think Jeff had some magic at Rutgers in which you were able to pull this off more efficiently but in the bureaucracy of the large academic medical centers, it was uh, very difficult to do. So, in addition to equipoise, logistics was the major challenge as well.
1: And, and that's right, Yara. So, you know, I, whenever I do trials, and um, I spent a huge amount of effort focused on logistics of trials because, you know, as, as anyone has ever heard me speak, trials live and die on, on logistics. And this trial died on logistics. <laughs> um, one of the reasons, as as Darryl emphasized, um, you know, the strategy that we followed here was, you know, the chair of radiology um, at at our school is an interventional radiologist. He was an investigator in the study. Okay, and I, uh, you know, I made sure, uh, and he's an author on the paper, and 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 I made sure that. Our plans were aligned that his team would would help me do the study um, and would be willing to to work with the schedule. So when you know when he would talk to to his uh, his team in in radiology and you know and give and ask them to try to accommodate the trial, you know we were we were mostly successful in being able to do that. But even then, even with that setup, we had a lot of cases where where they were they were down in the in the uh, in the radiology suite before we could even get to the floors to try to consent someone because there was just no communication that way and and you know what we what I suggested and what we proposed in the in the in the paper that if we were to do a study like this the people that need to own this study are the people doing the procedures
0: so if you were going to attempt to do this again on a larger scale, what do you think you would do differently?
1: Uh, well, um, I'm not sure I'm ready to do this on a larger scale. It was We tried really, really hard with this thing. I, you know, I think I would go to the design where the interventionalists were running the study. So I would go to my radiology group um, or I'd try to find someone who's really interested in maybe someone who's writing the uh the guidelines on the use of plasma in 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 interventional radiology. And I would go to that group um and I'd help them do the this trial.
2: Uh no, I agree. And the one additional change I would make is um at the time we were doing this study, thought plasma was kind of just beginning to make its inroads and The acceptability of low titer A plasma for any type was not as widely accepted as it is now. If you already had thawed plasma available for patients in the study, and then you could avoid that 45 to 60 minutes to get three or four units thawed and ready, that would only help um, reduce the logistic barriers that you could say, look, we'll just have plasma ready for any patient enrolled and randomized.
0: So, although the study failed to accrue the number you were hoping for, I was still very impressed by the findings, which is the thing I've always felt in my gut, that giving a little bit of plasma, even a decent amount of plasma, doesn't bring bring people's INRs down to less than 1.5. Do you think this study will help you when you have these discussions with your radiologist in the future, even though it didn't meet its accrual goal?
1: Yeah, it could. I mean, when you... If you know for the readers, if they go to Table Four, you can see the change in the INR, and so the day of the one day of the procedure, the mean change was you know point two four minus two point four. So you start at, you know, let's say your INR is two. That means you went down to points. Uh, your INR went to to one point seven six. Okay, like that is not exactly overwhelming, and only. A, I think it was about a third of people got less than 1.5. And, um, and, and uh, so, you know, what this says is you're not really achieving what you're trying to do and that maybe this doesn't make sense in, in most of your cases. And um, I think, you know, even though this is a, a small study, you know, that particular finding is, is, is pretty stable and, and is likely to, to, be replicated in, in, in a bigger study, that there's a, a relatively small change in the INR.
2: I, I would add, Jeff, that the changes in hemoglobin were also very similar and a very modest absolute value, you know, about half a gram change in hemoglobin. And if we even did double the number of patients and reached our target, and that was statistically significant, you would argue, is it really clinically significant, a 0.4 versus 0.6 hemoglobin difference? And I think we would agree that it's not clinically significant. Um, So I do think that you could use this trial. I I think for a clinical trialist perspective, I would never say it's definitive data, but I think it does help add to the clinical decision-making as a, just another piece of evidence. Um, and I do think it would support doing a bigger trial um, if there was the uh, willpower and funding to do that.
0: So my final question, so what's next for you guys? Are you going to, it sounds like you're not going to do this again, maybe pass it off to the radiologist, but where do you think as transfusion medicine physicians, what should we be doing next? Because I think your study shows that we really aren't changing people's INRs or hemoglobins. What can we do next for our clinicians and our patients?
1: I, you know, I think um, we can summarize this information for people. We can, sh- we, we, we can tell them that, look, this is not definitive evidence, but it's, it's um, strongly suggestive that what we're doing probably isn't making much of a difference um, I, uh, I think that's what we can tell our clinicians. I think from a research perspective, I think we can try to do a meta-analysis and uh, see if we can get more uh, robust information by combining results from the trials. And uh, that's something that, that, that I definitely will think about trying t- to do. Um, but I think in this particular area, um, our you know, I think we either live with with this dearth of of clinical of of evidence, of research evidence, and 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 just wind up using what is you know our, some of our basic knowledge about how plasma influences INR and and what what levels of factors are necessary for safe clotting and and so forth. I I, I don't know that we, we're going to be able to get that definitive trial. I I I think it's uh, I haven't heard that anyone's trying to do it.
2: Yara, I I would say that uh, we, we can definitely improve the education around dosing of plasma and the strategy of weight-based dosing, not the arbitrary one or two units. We have a long way to go in that. We know that from our epidemiology paper. That's number one. Number two is I think, that we still can um, impress upon the clinicians, the risk of TACO and that giving plasma for these minimal prolongations of INR has a real risk. It's on the order of 1% uh, risk of TACO and and probably a bit higher with plasma because of the volume given. Um, And so I think the safety and dosing things we could go to now with confidence. Um, the equipoise around the trigger, I think, remains, but, you know, there's been lots of studies now that continue to show a lack of efficacy of giving plasma with these minor prolongations, and none, no one of them is definitive, but, as Jeff said, the meta-analyses continue to, to show uh, a lack of efficacy, um, this is just another example of that. And I think we should still continue to impress upon our colleagues that there's likely minimal benefit of giving plasma in these minor prolongations. And I think there was an editorial that that basically took that position in the same issue with transfusion. Uh, and, and I agree uh, that there's lots of um, straws in the camel's back. Uh, but we probably have no definitive trial, but in aggregate, the picture is pretty clear.
0: Yeah. I think a meta-analysis would be great. Are you planning on doing one?
1: Well, I just got the idea from reading the editorial. <laughs> and, uh, so I, you know, I will reach out to the editorialists and, um, you know, see what she thinks, um, whether, whether she'd like to collaborate to do something like this. And, uh, Um, If she would, um, you know, I'd like to do this.
0: And that's our show. Thank you to Dr. Carson and Dr. Triolzi for joining us for a fascinating conversation this month. This has been Yara Park for Transfusion's monthly podcast. See you next time.